Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and the Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with Aaron Rubicek, founder and CEO of Loafs. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really honored to have you. Um, you know, I'm really excited about this project and any kind of project that we get to work on that's eco-friendly. So with the shoes that you've created made entirely of recycled materials, such as algae-based foam and chrome-free recycled leather, really excited to talk today about where the inspiration came from and what inspired you to truly create loaves. So if you would, take us on the journey back of where the inspiration began. Yeah, it's from it's from one form of anxiety to another. So uh, it started about a year ago in June of... 2018. I had started a company in a past life. I was actually in an accelerator program when I went to UCLA for something completely unrelated to this, which kind of sparked my desire to always get into entrepreneurship. But that was when I was at the age of like 21, 22, just kind of wanted to take a step back. Since then, my career has all been surrendered around technology. We spent a, about a year and a half at LinkedIn in a business rotational program and then been at Google now for about two and a half years. But going back about a year ago, I believe it was May or June of 2018, Something just didn't feel right at work. I really liked my job, but I just felt like there was some sort of lingering anxiety in me that was searching for more that was unanswered at Google. And through a series of sort of cathartic professional conversations with mentors and parents and and friends, I started to debate whether or not going to get a part-time MBA was the right case. And that I talked to my dad about it and he's like, what's the, what's the spirit of that? And I was like, to convince myself that I'm capable of starting a company. He's like, that sounds stupid. You should set aside $20,000 for the rest of 2018 and try something. So I put a deadline on myself around mid, middle, early July. Um, you know, the next idea I had, I told myself I was going to pursue. And then I came to the idea of loafs through this really heinous pair of wool loungers that I had when I still lived in San Francisco. I live in New York now that were just gross. I've had them for ages. I wore them to class in college. I probably had them for 10 years. And I went to go buy another pair online and they weren't made anymore. Um, and so then, you know, the wheels started turning, sustainable footwear, so many different interpretations of sustainability, you know, something that's comfortable of a, you know, slipper, a performance runner, but with the high level aesthetic of like a dress shoe. And, you know, a year later, we, the idea has of course changed a few different times, but that's definitely what the impetus was back in, yeah, like early July of 2018. So when you were creating this new entity, Loafs, what was the process like there and how did you go about deciding what features to include with the product? Yeah, it was very much, and this is just kind of one of my life mottos of just one foot in front of the other and following momentum where it existed. So when I first started out, 
I was like, do as much as I can without spending a dime. And I was like, what, what does that entail? Okay, well, I don't know fashion design and I don't know manufacturing. So I went on Upwork.com, started interviewing fashion designers. The second fashion designer I found was Kiri, who is my co-founder today. Uh, she owns a sustainable design agency abroad, helped launch big brands like Sam Edelman, went to UCLA, which is where I went. It just seemed very uh, like a really good match. And then I reached out to the Ocean Cleanup, who's another organization we're now partnered with, just completely lying, to be honest, telling them we were, uh, you know, a mid-stage footwear brand looking to do something like the Tom Shoes model, where for every pair of shoes you buy, you take a certain poundage of plastic out of the ocean. Uh, and the CMO got back to me very quickly. One week later, after I got back from New York and had found Kiri, I was at their launch facility in California. And I was like, okay, I think there's something here. I'm going to continue to follow this. And so it was, it was kind of a series of setting micro-level goals. You know, when I start, first started working with Kiri, I really didn't know what I wanted. Through Kiri and some other connections I had, I got introduced to this footwear agency abroad called Fimni, who hosts, uh, hosts a com- uh, conferences actually all over the world, but one specifically here in Los Angeles that I attended to. Um, they were just kicking off their sourcing practice. Um, this, uh, all the guys that started it spent a long time in Adidas. And through sort of this network of people I met, uh, along with some actually fashion manufacturing textbooks that I bought on Amazon, uh, that's kind of what led to where we are today. I think my biggest advantage is being a relationships person. I think I got really lucky in meeting the right people. Um, I'm very much a proponent of, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I think the the luck I had was meeting people who actually knew what they were talking about. And through that, uh, I think I now, to some degree, still know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, a, it's a never-ending process. As it is. So what have been some of the challenges that you've encountered when designing your first eco-friendly product? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of the sustainability debate is there's so many different interpretations of sustainability. So for example, you can make an issue out of entirely recycled materials, but that shoe is still going to ultimately end in a landfill unless you have some sort of shoe buyback program, circular process-esque type of thing. Long story short, you're always pissing off someone. So in the at least in like the you know hardcore sustainability heads. And so I think we tried as hard as we could to suffice as many interpretations of sustainability as possible, being, you know, the war on fast fashion, the whole concept of like buy less, buy better. We created a hybrid shoe that's supposed to be a hybrid of a running shoe and a high fashion dress shoe, something that you can wear all day through multiple circumstances. So you don't have to buy a ton of cheaper shoes. You can buy a nicer pair that obviously uh, fits into different parts of your life rather harmoniously. On top of that, using different types of materials, the, the recycled material side, we use all materials that otherwise would be less destined for landfill. We largely cleaned up our manufacturing process through using water-based adhesives, which are very toxic. And then on top of that, for the natural you know, carbon emissions that are still going to go into the atmosphere from our logistics, we're the first to admit that we're not perfect. We produce in China. We like to adhere to the concept of carbon offset, which is where on a per pair basis, we donate a portion of our proceeds to the ocean cleanup which is an organization abroad uh, funded by Mark Benioff, Peter Thiel, that's cleaning up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch at quite a large scale. So those are kind of the interpretations we found we were able to reasonably achieve. Granted, I I still think we'll always be pissing someone off, but we're we're doing our best given how early stage and bootstrapped we are. Sorry, I had some feedback there. I think it came through clear, but um, we, we can jump into the next question, Aaron. So what tips would you have for someone looking to develop their eco-friendly product like this for the first time? Yeah, of course. I think first and foremost, reading. Like like I said, this was sort of the, me going into this. I just didn't see a lot of downside in that it was me going into it as my sort of pseudo MBA and how I sort of supplemented materials was reading 
sort of within the realm of eco-friendly literature. So I read a lot of the books written by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, and people who have worked in the Patagonia organization. I think they're arguably probably the most sustainable organization on the planet across all stages of their value chain. In addition to that, I think setting micro-level goals to sort of not make mountains out of molehills. I think just that's a, a lesson I think I would incorporate to just the entrepreneurial process in general, but specifically eco-friendly products. Eco stuff can typically be more expensive. It's harder to find people who can work with those types of materials. And so similarly to, like I said, when I set that sort of deadline for myself, I was like, I'm going to do as much stuff without spending a dime on this idea to see where it goes. And it went somewhere. Then I got to the next goal. I was like, okay, I'm going to set aside two grand and see how I can hash out this idea with Kiri. And, and it went quite well. And it, like I said, I'm very much just a follow momentum where momentum exists, one foot in front of the other and set micro goals to meet the macro goal. Otherwise, I think it'll very much lead to a process of getting in your own way um, just by virtue of something that can easily seem like a, a very daunting and unachievable task. So what tips would you have for a company about to move into the assembly and manufacturing phase of product development, given that this is your first run at it? Yeah, definitely. I think, like I said, I think I'm someone that generally just leans on the side of mantras just to like help get myself through what is naturally a anxiety-inducing process. And I think in the world of manufacturing, is just good things happen really slow. Like you're going to expect something to happen really, really fast just by virtue of the impatience and, like I said, natural anxiety that exists as a part of that process. But complications exist at every point of the way. So if you're working with people in China, they have holidays at different points in the year um, that we do. If you're a small company trying to work with factories who have really, really big brands, uh, those brands are going to be a larger priority than yours are. And as such, you know, their willingness to open new tooling and put prototypes together for you isn't going to naturally happen at the pace at which you think it should happen. In terms of fostering those connections, I think I got really, I think I positioned myself well by going to industry related events and meeting people in the industry who actually knew what they were talking about. And by representing myself well and, you know, showing an eagerness to learn and listen, uh, but also seeming motivated, um, it, it opened their willingness to work with us. So I think it's a, it's a combination of proper patience, networking appropriately, trusting people when you know you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and also just having a natural expectation that, things are going to get lost in different customs when sending them to China or Portugal or just things never happen naturally at the pace at which you want it. I think initially we aimed to have this out seven months ago. It's been a year, but I couldn't be prouder of where we're at. So, yeah. Yeah. Patience, networking, and building trust, right? hundred <laughs> percent. So let's jump into the crowdfunding campaign. I know the uh, the campaign will be launching here very shortly, I think within the week. Let's talk about how long you've spent preparing for the crowdfunding campaign and what made you choose Kickstarter to launch the Loaf's brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been preparing for that. I think we've in, uh, intended to do a Kickstarter throughout the entire time of working towards this. Reason being, for example, with a retail company, inventory management is always going to be what kills you. Forecasting inventory, forecasting demand, it's a very, very complicated process in general. Within footwear, it's incredibly complicated by virtue of the number of sizes, the number of colorways, and there's unique tooling that needs to be opened up for each individual size. So, for example, for an individual just style run across both men and women's, uh, you know, across conventional sizes, that tooling can cost an upwards of 70000 And so just by virtue of, one, the inventory management complications that exist in general, but in this industry in particular – it was a really good opportunity for us because we could only we only had to make two sets of tooling, men's size nine and women's size seven, a fine models that fit into those sizes. And then Kickstarters, one, obviously predominantly used to pay for the tooling um, that is inherently expensive within, within this industry. And two, helps us forecast demand in what is arguably one of the most challenging verticals to do that, especially as a, a cash-strapped newer stage venture. 
So I think that's sort of the, the reason why we did it. But in terms of how we prepared, I think given my background in digital advertising and branding, I think we really, really doubled down on our marketing, really wanted to make it clear the why of why we're starting this. You know, as much as it's fun to make a cool product made out of interesting materials and things like that, we are very much of the opinion that a lot of companies tackle sustainability wrong in that they make it a very fear-ridden, shame-driven dialogue. And because of that, we think it hinders people from wanting to, on a more day-to-day basis, make consumer-conscious decisions. So especially with even within our, you know, our motto itself, love the planet you walk on. It's supposed to be uh, taken from empowerment of it's supposed to be taken from an angle of empowerment, making people sort of seize the day, a very, very positive sort of opportunistic dialogue. And I think that's why we took a little extra time to really think through sort of what are our brand values, really starting with the why and having that be incorporated so that when someone does ultimately choose to back loafs, it feels more than just a purchase of shoes made out of maybe some less, less than conventional materials. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit then about your campaign video. What was that process like and how did you decide what to include in your video and all the content that went through there? Yeah. Um, so I have, since I've been a kid, always struggled to write papers because I try to shove way too much in them. Uh, and I think I very much experienced that in the, the scripting and sort of storyboarding of our video as well. Um, like I said, we try to tackle so many different parts of our shoe from the like, you know, war on fast fashion, buy less, buy better. It's made out of all these crazy materials to post-purchase donation to like, I work at like me, like there's just so many components to the story um, that I think we really aired on the side of simplicity. Um, but at the end of the day, we really tried to approach it from the concept of why rather than what. I don't know if you are, have ever read the book Start With Why by Simon Sinek the whole concept of the golden circle. It has to do with companies that truly develop a brand and develop a strong loyalty are the ones that make consumers feel that their product is simply an extension of whom they are. And that's exactly what we have looked to develop in this whole concept of the change maker. You know, it, we live in a, a time where our politics are more divided than they've ever been. Uh, people feel very, very disempowered. They feel very guilt ridden with all the, you know, issues from income inequality to fighting the climate. And so we really wanted loafs to really symbolize to our consumers um, that this is more than just a shoe. It's really a, a symbol of whom you are and of the fact that, you know, you care about the planet you walk on and that you want to do something as a part of this fight and to really start a dialogue. Absolutely. So in talking about some of the considerations that you guys have made for the product and the materials that go into it, you've been working with us here at Inventus Partners for a while now. What were some of the considerations that you looked into when choosing an agency to partner with for your upcoming launch? Yeah, totally. As someone who works in the agency world at Google, agencies it's a, in general are a rather honorless role. I work on an agency-facing team here. So to hear good reviews about an agency is Pretty astounding. And I will say, I, you know, as someone who grew up under a father who would, you know, make him research product reviews to a T, the fact that the number of bad reviews I found about you guys were incredibly minimal. And if anything, like four plus stars for an agency, I was like, this seems too good to be true. And so, yeah, that's ultimately why we ended up deciding to move forward with you guys. I really just enjoyed the way your guys' entire team um, interacted with us throughout the entire onboarding process. It was very, very professionally done. And so, yeah, I think it was. It was a, a more my gut versus my mind. And yeah, so far, so good. Excited awesome. to get this well, going. I'm glad we've been a uh, Google certified agency partner as well for almost a decade now. So it's great to actually work with uh, someone as well on this side of the crowdfunding scene. Truly living the dream. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, Aaron, this is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Ready. Let's do it. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? 
I am someone that thrives in atmospheres where I can work with a great degree of autonomy. I think I've lived, I mean, just in general, I, you know, I went to high school, it's a four-year schedule, went to college, it's a four-year schedule, you graduate, high, you graduate college, you're told you're supposed to go get this job, and I think there's a, a great degree of creativity that's fostered when you don't, aren't being told what to do all the time. Um, this isn't to, to say that I haven't enjoyed my time in the corporate world, I'm actively enjoying myself as, you know, as we speak, but with that said, just being, the, being able to captain something and more than anything just prove to myself that I'm capable of so much more than I think I am. But doing so in a way that's outside the classroom. Like I said, I got to this idea kind of at a point where I was considering to go getting an MBA just to consider, just to convince myself that I was capable of something. And now at a far more cost efficient rate, learning far more than I ever could have imagined, couldn't have been a better decision. Um, and regardless of where this goes, it, it's been quite a good educational opportunity. So if you could meet any entrepreneur throughout history, who would you want to have a walk with? It's like, I don't want to be corny, but the corny ones are so good. I'm, I'm just a huge Richard Branson fan. He is. The absolute man, in my opinion, from all of his books, like Finding My Virgin, like Finding Your Virginity, I think is what he calls it, called that because of Virgin Records. Don't worry, I'm not being inappropriate. Um, he just has sort of a fly by the seat of his pants mentality. Not that I entirely am like that. He's generally very positive. He's done a lot of good for the world and just like generally is a, a well spirited man who knows what he's talking about. So I would say of anyone I can think of off the top of my head, yeah, Sir, Sir Richard Branson. So what would be your first question for Sir Richard Branson? That's a big one. Um, what would you tell the sort of aspiring entrepreneur who's currently in the struggle? Um, I think that's what makes a podcast like this so cool too, is I think there's a ton of content out there, whether it's the How I Built This Podcast or just successful people like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, and speaking retro- retrospectively on what their success was. But I think there's a major lack of content around people who are currently in the struggle. And so I would definitely sort of get his insight on what would you ask someone in the struggle and sort of what were you thinking at the age of 23, 24, whenever you were launching Virgin Records? Just, yeah, I think, I think that would go a long way for a lot of people who similarly, similarly aspire to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. So who did you look up to growing up as a kid? Oh man, that's a big question. I didn't really grow up aspiring to be an entrepreneur. I think my parents always kind of knew from the minute I started a snow cone stand, that was my first business when I was a kid. Uh, I think I bought like my, my first like nice Nixon watch and it was very fulfilling to starting Ha Ha Scooters. I think the people I actually ended up looking up to were baseball players, uh, were big Dodger fans as a house, dogs named Scully after Vin Scully. And so there were a lot of baseball players. I grew up in San Diego um, that lived in our area. Dave Roberts, who's the current coach of the Dodgers, whom I'd met a few times throughout my kid, uh, childhood. And we'd met, that, we'd met him and, and Tony Gwynn and a few other just like really, really good people a few times. And I think I aspired to be like them and just how human and they didn't seem like celebrities or these people who lived another echelon of society. So, yeah, I mean, it depends on when you ask me. I think my aspirations changed over time as as life uh, took its course. Um, but at a young age, definitely it was more like sports figures. Nice. My dad was a huge Oral Hershiser and Fernando Valenzuela fan as well. So I, I met. Yeah, um, sounds like we should introduce our fathers. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, any book you would recommend to our listeners outside of uh, Start with Why? Of course, which is a great read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what. So, my favorite book of all time is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I can't say it's hugely relevant to the entrepreneurial experience. Um, <laughs> but one that is more relevant to the entrepreneurial experience, I would say, 
You know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna say the Alchemist. I actually read that recently. Um, I'm a big fan of meditation and mindfulness, and I couldn't. I don't think it could be more relevant to the entrepreneurial experience in terms of not thinking too far ahead. There's one thing to be said of planning, thinking for the future, you know, mitigating potential downsides, but the whole concept of those inner dialogues yourself telling yourself you can't forecasting for a myriad of outcomes that will probably never happen and just really i mean the whole concept of mindfulness is really understanding your thoughts and avoiding unhealthy thoughts leaning further in on dialogues that are healthy and spending more time just in the world uh and the 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 alchemist itself is is very much like that just kind of it's kind of a trust the process kind of like what i mentioned earlier of you know follow momentum where momentum exists not to get too spiritual on you um, I think this is a more like actually pra- there's a practical interpretation to it that I think is very relevant to the entrepreneurial experience. So yeah, I would say that. Awesome. I know you haven't run the campaign yet, but really interested to hear your insights on what does the future of crowdfunding look like? The future of crowdfunding. What does it look like? As someone who admittedly has actually never bought a crowdfunding product, uh, I d- one, I don't think I'm the most uh, credible to speak to it, but I'll speak to it to the utmost degree that I can. I would say I think it's going to continue being a major success. I think we live in a time where people are, consumers are starting to ask a lot more of the companies that they choose to invest their money in. I mean, you're seeing sustainability blow up like wildfire, wildfire across one, the footwear space, and two, just the consumer space in general. And I think Kickstarter is sort of the tip of the spear of where a lot of these more forward thinking companies start. And as a part of, like I said, this whole Instagram generation where people, you know, really do feel like the brands that they purchase are an extension of their values, um, who they want others to perceive that they are. I think Kickstarter is going to be a major place to do that. I mean, that's the whole nature of the actual platform itself. It's, you know, as much as you're buying a pair of loaves or any sort of product over Kickstarter, you're, you're investing an idea that you think will affect the world in a positive way. I don't think this sort of entrepreneurial wave is going to stop anytime soon, you know independent of minor blips and, you know, maybe a brief recession. So I would say if anything, I think it's going to continue to be rather successful as a low risk option for aspiring entrepreneurs. I hope so too. Well, Aaron, this has been awesome. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where people should go and why they should check you out. Yeah. Um, So first and foremost, uh, we couldn't be more excited to bring loaves to the world. Like I said, we've put so much thought into this to truly try to make the most sustainable consumer conscious footwear product possible across a variety of interpretations of sustainability. I've been wearing them for quite some time. I cannot speak more highly of the product. We will never be featuring them at a cheaper price. They'll be 89 bucks for the first two days of the campaign to be 99 after that. I think full retail long-term will be more in like the 130 to 140 range. But with that said, yeah, I think more than anything, as much as you're buying a pair of shoes, you're really investing in whom you are. If you're someone that believes that the brands that you invest in are an extension of you, that your dollar is truly your vote, I couldn't encourage you more to invest in this product and invest in this journey with us. Uh, We couldn't be more grateful of everyone that's been a part of this journey with us. Um, And more than anything, don't doubt yourself. Get out of your own way. Uh, Because I think I finally did that. And I still have a lot more getting out of my own way to do. But like I said, the minute you started, a a lot of momentum exists. And so, yeah, one, just couldn't encourage people to follow their passions and, you know, whatever being entrepreneurial means to you to go about that. But first and foremost, be entrepreneurial in a pair of loaves. Absolutely. Well, audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to the campaign and everything else we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Backer Kit. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks a ton, Roy. Have a good day. 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.